0: You're listening to The Influencer Podcast, episode number 65. So I have something exciting and new to share with you today. I have a free masterclass on pitching, and I want to invite you to it. During this jam-packed masterclass, you get access to my five steps for helping bloggers and influencers like you land paid brand collaborations, media coverage, and negotiate better deals. This free masterclass gives you the confidence, email sample copy, negotiation skills, and actual rate tips that you can start charging for blogs, social media posts, YouTube videos, or however you want to best give content to your hard-earned audience. It is the fastest way you can get paid for your influence, hands down. And by linking arms to join me in the masterclass as I spill my secrets, puts you in the same crew with influencers just like Peyton Baxter, who used these strategies in her first year of blogging to explode her Instagram following from seven thousand to forty thousand, generate upwards of four to five thousand a month on brand deals, and even DIY negotiate a fifty five hundred dollar brand deal with her dream company. Another podcast listener, L Valera, said that since listening to the free masterclass, she already landed $1,100 in events, hosting and sponsorships in less than a month. So if you've ever felt like you maybe could muster up the courage to hit send on an email pitch to a brand, you really will not want to miss this masterclass. You can sign up at pitchitperfect.net forward slash webinar. Again, that's pitchitperfect.net forward slash webinar. Before we dive in, I want to give my warm appreciation to our reviewer of the week, and that is Sarah Gaddis, and she says, I discovered Julie's podcast a little over a year ago, and I love it. I listen to it in the car, out walking, when running. I am excited to do all those things just so I can listen to another episode. She has some amazing guests, most of whom are incredibly inspiring entrepreneurial women with wonderful insights and advice to share. Well, thank you, Sarah, so much for your review. I am so glad that you love our guests as much as I do, and this podcast is helping you so much. So... Obviously, I want to hear from more of you who are listening in each week, so make sure to subscribe to the Influencer Podcast over on iTunes and give us a review so I can highlight your review in an upcoming episode. And make sure to screenshot this episode on your phone and tag me and Christina Scalera on your Instagram story hashtag the influencer podcast and at Joel Solomon to let us know that you're joining in today. As you know that I love to share those screenshots on my story too. Now let's get into it.
1: Welcome to the influencer podcast. Each week, Julie Solomon, a marketing strategist and New York Times best-selling publicist takes you behind the scenes with successful influencers, bloggers and industry elites in conversation to share how they engage, persuade and grow their unique influence. Her mission is to share exclusive insider tips, wisdom, and action-based tools to help you strengthen, monetize, and build your own industry-leading influence. This week, we have the
0: one and only Christina Scalera from The Contract Shop on to discuss all things contracts, communities, and how to make your content work for you. Plus, this woman gives so much good info on the legality of being an online creative and influencer. You're about to learn an incredible amount. Hello, Christina, and welcome to the show today. Hi, Julie. Thanks for having me. Yes, and thanks for coming on. I know that this has been a long time coming. I feel like you and I have been talking about this, I think, since last year, about having you on the show to share your goodness and your wisdom and your legal knowledge. So I am so glad that we are finally here, and today is the day. (laughs) <laughs> Me as well. Yeah. I think
2: we got pushed back. I got pushed back for Lisa Loeb, which I was okay with because oh, yes. I think Lilith Fair was actually my first concert. So
0: that's pretty that cool. Was, that was pretty cool. Yeah. yeah it's like very nostalgic. <laughs> um, Yeah. She, Lisa Loeb actually, um, she does, I think she did like a children's album because she lives here in LA and we were at a, a family, like one of those you know family event things this big like event that they were throwing and she was she was the musical guest and she sang all these children's songs so it was That'd really cute exciting. yes um so i am so excited to have you here today for so many reasons for one you're just an incredible human being and you're so knowledgeable and i love everything that you have going on with The Contract Shop, which we're going to talk about today, and then obviously your podcast that I had the pleasure of, of being on with you and Raina, and um, just everything that you stand for and how you really serve your audience. So if you want to just kind of go ahead and dive in and share with our audience today a little bit about who you are, where you came from, and, and my question to you is, why law and why legal? Essentially I moved
2: all over the country as a kid. Uh, I don't everybody asks me where I'm from and it's the most annoying question in for me because I'm like I don't know, I don't know where I'm from. I lived everywhere except for the west coast, uh which would have been the coolest place to live, but anyway <laughs> Um, I grew up all over the place. Uh ended up going to high school in New Jersey, landed back in Texas for uh college, and then from there just basically applied to the best law schools that I thought I could get into and ended up at Emory. So that brought me to Atlanta and that's kind of my home base still, but I'm I'm doing so much traveling and I'm actually living half the year now in California or <laughs> Colorado. <laughs> Is that a Freudian slip? I don't know. Um <laughs> I'm in California right now, actually. So I am from like everywhere. And in law school, I was taking this just background of being all over the place. Um, and I really honed that into a couple different things that I really enjoyed. So for example, I had a lot of different internships and they would all lead back to intellectual property. So that's just a fancy way of saying your branding uh, the content that you're creating. All of that is what your intellectual property is. And I, I loved it because it, it was it was what made a business. So your brand, your logo, the way that you make people feel when they see those things, how excited they are about your content. Like that's all to me, what intellectual property is. And so it was a really natural fit for me to head into, um, work as an an intellectual property attorney. And so that's, that's what I did. I worked in a firm, I worked at a big company, um, and then I landed right outside of law school. I landed into a privately held, um, company in Atlanta and I was their trademark counsel. So that's what I was doing right outside of law school. Um, And then from that job, I actually, I was pretty young at the time. I mean, you graduate from school and you're, I don't know, like what, what was I like 22, 23. I was having so many health problems that you would not expect somebody of that age to have. And so I finally got diagnosed with something and they basically were like, you have to completely change your lifestyle. This is not working, so I am not good at moderation in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> like I am either at Orange Theory for two hours a day, or I'm like eating donuts all day. Well, I'm gluten free, but you know,
0: gluten free donuts, donuts, donuts are the best. Yeah, <laughs> like just being honest.
2: Yeah. So anyway, so I um, I went a, I, in a completely opposite direction. I became a yoga teacher. So it's funny because it's like full circle. I. Did that in San Francisco, and I'm actually recording there today. Um, so, anyway, the yoga teacher thing really throws people off because they're like, "How did you get there from law?" And for me, it was just the complete opposite, and that was the right thing to do at the time. And I'm so glad I did do that because it led me to this create this community of creatives, which is why I'm here. I'm working with Honeybook and the Rising Tide Society. And um, all that kind of just came together. And so I finally found my community with them, as I was blogging and trying to be an influencer and like going about it in all of the wrong ways at the time. Um, It was all about me. I was like the me monster. And it was horrible. like (laughs) Just awful. I'm so embarrassed. But you know, when I started to actually create content that people enjoyed and then I saw how it started to change their lives, that's when I was like, OK, there's there's more to this. Like I am I am more than just like the labels of a yoga teacher or lawyer or whatever. I can find a way to blend all that. And then long story short, that's how the contract shop came about. And so now it creates contract templates for different kinds of creatives like bloggers and influencers, um, coaches calligraphers, graphic designers. So we, we run the gamut, but it's very niche into each specific area.
0: And I love that you just touched on that because I want to kind of dive into that a little bit um, because I think that that is such a niche and, a, and unique way that you serve creatives and influencers and bloggers. Um, where did, When did you really have that moment or was there a moment that you really found like Okay, th- this is something that I need to serve. And it might have not been something that you initially was like this is what I want to do, but you knew <laughs> that that you were going to be able to be of best service at that moment, which then eventually of course would be able to allow for new doors to open and then for you to explore other passions as that went on. So what did that kind of look like for you because I think a lot of my listeners, they get hung up on this part of like Do I serve up what I think I I really want to do and where I feel really in line with, or do I serve up what my audience really needs from me at this moment? It was a combination.
2: So the point at which you're talking about, I had a blog. It was called Carte Blanche Wellness. (laughs) Um, Oh, my goodness. Anyway, just thinking back about that. I was blogging about health and, and yoga topics and et cetera, et cetera. And then all of a sudden I switched and I started to blog about the legal stuff because I had been getting some questions. I kind of got outed by a couple people as an attorney, not a yoga teacher. And so it was interesting because once I started to do that, I saw 60 to a hundred people on my website a month turn into 600 and then a thousand and then more. And I was like, this is getting insane. Like all I did was change the topics of what I'm blogging about. I didn't even know people were paying attention. Um, so I think it was a lot of experimentation because it did take like two years to figure out that people resonated with that content for me. But I also think I was a lot more passionate about that content because I would spend probably five to seven hours at the time. Now, now it's like 20 minutes, but I would spend five to seven hours at the time writing these blog posts about legal topics because I wanted to make sure they were thorough and fact-checked and everything. You're Um, a lawyer. You're a high
0: fact finder.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it, it took me a long time. Um, and one that was, that's like a whole nother story that was so discouraging. And now I've figured out the process to condense it down in time to make it sustainable. But, um, I was just so passionate about talking about things like branding and what happens if someone takes your work and how do you negotiate a contract and how do you work with a client and just kind of sharing different things that I knew about instead of trying to force myself as like a round peg into a square hole in this yoga and health space that like I'm I'm actually not super healthy like I try but I'm not like vegan and drinking green smoothies every day and doing yoga every day and i i just felt very disingenuous and so even though i was trying very hard to hide that through the filter of the internet i think it still showed through and that i was a lot more passionate about the legal topics than the you know health and wellness that i was trying to fit myself into
0: mm, there's so much goodness there and i so um i connect to your story so much because our stories align a lot, in, in having <laughs> to navigate that. I know I've shared mine with with you, and mm-hmm. it' very similar in that way. But a couple of things that I want to touch on is, I love that you a you mentioned how you had to test it out, and a lot of it was just kind of trial and error, and and, and figuring it out, and really figuring out where your zone of genius lied, you know, and and kind of navigating that. And then the second thing that you mentioned that I love is is the data that you started really seeing a change when a shift in the numbers and the analytics when you started writing these other topics and you listened to that and you paid attention to that, um, which is so key. And I think that it's something that a lot of times uh, creatives, influencers, bloggers will kind of miss the mark on that they get so um, focused on having to create one thing or trying to f- kind of force. It's like the round hole in the square peg kind of thing when really the beauty could be there if you just kind of are flexible and open to it.
2: Yeah. Our best content, Julie, honestly, is when we go back about three months after a uh, just quarterly review, what posts are, you know, one, two, and three ranking. And it's not hard. Like I'm not a math or analytic type person when it comes to that, but you know, just looking at what has gotten the most traffic on Pinterest. I mean, they make it super easy. And then we just go, my team and I go back in and we just add a couple paragraphs, rearrange the content, update anything that needs updating change the images. And it gets, I mean, we've had two articles go viral a second time because of that. It's like on Pinterest. So it's like just little tiny things. It didn't take time.
0: I love this. And I hope hope everyone (laughs) just heard what she said, because this is a huge takeaway. So she does, you do quarterly reviews with your team. So it's not like it's it's every 90 days, four times a year. Um, Of the analytics, you find, what, the top three, top five, top performing posts at the time, and then you go back to refresh it, make it, you know, refreshing and new, maybe adding photos or a new paragraph, and then that allows it to then target an even wider net and go even more viral than it already was.
2: Absolutely. I'm not even touching it, honestly, at this point. It's all outsourced even, so...
0: (sighs) I love that. That is that is genius.
2: Make your content work for you. <laughs>
0: yes, I love that. Um, and then too, it's it's really. I'm such a fan of repurposing content. I talk about it a lot, um, especially when you have built so much content because I think it's so interesting. And I especially see so many bloggers do that. Do this is that they'll spend you know, it's the 80-20 rule. They'll spend 80% of their time creating content and only 20% of the time promoting that content. And I'm always trying to help them flip that because why you know, why spend more time when you already have spent so much time creating this amazing content that so many people haven't seen yet. So I love your, your takeaway that you just gave us and really just those simple steps that I think that we can all start to cultivate within ourselves or our team. And even if you don't have a team, you can do quarterly reviews yourself and tweak and refresh that way to get to a place that you can hire it out or, or have a team help you with it. So I love that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I want to touch on because um, you you mentioned this very briefly earlier about how you, th- there was a time that you were figuring all this out and it was very discouraging. Um, can you share a little bit about that um, when you were kind of probably at, at a low and how you were able to still see the good and to really overcome that and to stay consistent and to keep doing it? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. At a
2: low is an understatement um i i thought the yoga community it's like part of why i chose that i think because it felt so welcoming and pure and authentic and some of you are already out there rolling your eyes and laughing because you have realized what i have and not everybody is like this There there really are some good people in it but what i found and maybe it was because of the communities i surrounded myself with it was um Yeah, without without getting into detail, like there were lots of women that I hung out with that were on the covers of magazines and doing all this stuff. And then you would meet them in real life. Like one of them actually told me when I asked her how she was doing that um, she doesn't make small talk and I should stop talking to her. (laughs) And I saw her on the cover of Yoga Journal a few months later and I was like, wow, okay, you know, you're so sweet. That's encouraging. (laughs) Um, and so she's, was, she's on
0: the cover, like love everyone. <laughs>
2: exactly. Exactly. So it was just a lot of hypocrisy. And again, I, I think it was probably because of where I was coming from. Like I was coming from a very scarcity mindset, so I don't want to blame it completely on the community, but I just want to say that for me personally, it wasn't the right community. It wasn't the right fit and I knew that because every single door was getting slammed in my face. And it was just so hard to do anything. It was hard to collaborate with people. It was hard to blog for other people. It was hard to um, try to just forge relationships and and any kind of friendship, everybody was like out to get it for themselves. And it, it just was so hard. And, you know, to be told, no, 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 no. And then like the little tiny yeses that I did get, people would take advantage of me because I was new or I didn't understand how the process worked for whatever it was that I was trying to do. It was really discouraging. And so then to just kind of take a step back and take like a month or two where I just didn't Try so hard, and I started to just do things that I enjoyed. I took some calligraphy workshops. I um, started to design my own blog post graphics, and just had a really good time, like not associating with what was dragging me down at the time and pulling myself back out of that. Um, that was really how I got out of that and then into the new community that I'm still a part of. Um, so it was just, it was hard because it was everything was going wrong. Like every door that could be slammed in my face. Anytime I tried, everybody's like, just try and you'll eventually succeed. It was like, okay, it's been two years of trying. (laughs) This is not happening. So what what gives? Um, So yeah, I, I think that was a really low point, but just giving myself space, pulling myself out of that situation, putting myself, I talk a lot about this with like any, any kind of I don't do coaching per se, but I have like a consulting program. And so a lot of the times the women in there, what happens is they, they get, we all get stuck in these patterns. We have these stories in our heads about ourselves or about the outcome of a situation. And what's really important is just a pattern interrupt. And so that, that was what I was doing during that time. I didn't realize it, but just interrupting the pattern of negativity and scarcity.
0: And I, I just, I want to make a note because I think that it's a true Testament just to how incredible you are as a human and, and how in tune and alignment you, you, you seem to be what I make up about you, um, is how, how brave it is of you to really take ownership of that situation that you just explained. Because I loved when you said, you know, even though there might've not really been the best kinds of people that I needed to surround myself with in that moment, I also knew that it was a projection of where I was coming from. And it was my own scarcity and limiting beliefs and not really showing up as my highest self. And so that's what I was receiving. So when you talked about kind of that scarcity and really taking ownership of that, I think is so many times is is the first step that 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 leads us to – empowerment into living our brilliance and um i loved when you also mentioned about the doors being slammed because that's always to me that's like that's god's way of being like nope you know like (laughs) I'm, i'm not no no like i know that you keep trying and keep trying to force this but no and so i love that you were able to really see that and listen to it and i i feel like that's that's why you are where you are today and you have such an amazing company and you are able to serve a beautiful audience because you, you were able to really get honest with yourself in that moment.
2: Yeah. Well part of it was hindsight, I have to say. It's it's easier to to look back and say,
0: Oh, that's what was happening. <laughs>
2: that is true. But thank you, Julie. Yes.
0: But I mean, you knew it, there was something within your gut in that moment. Cause you didn't stay yeah, there. Definitely. Yeah. Oh God, you know, sure. you got to give yourself a little bit of credit. <laughs> um, if you, if you don't want to, I will today. Okay. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I love that because I, I feel like a lot of times when, you know, uh, people in, in our community will have those kinds of situations happening to them. And I'm sure there's someone listening right now that is like, oh my gosh, me too. Um, the more that we resist and the more that we force, like, the harder it's going to be. So it's it's really about just being still and really listening to yourself. So I, I love that you, that you shared that. Um, my friends, have you ever thought that you have done the hard part? You have started your business and you have taken that leap from belief into really stepping out and claiming a vision for yourself. But you know that if you want to make money doing what you love, you need other support Go to kajabi.com slash influencer and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. I want to uh, shift gears a little bit to talk about... Just some of the incredible work that you do. I know that you get to work with some amazing clients, some amazing clients and brands. Um, Jenna Kutcher, Laura Casey from Cultivate What Matters, Honeybook, which is amazing. Um, you've worked with the Rising Tide Society, um, and then you've been a part of the Modern Calli- Calligraphy Summit. And I think that this is a really unique thing to talk about because to me, saying those names out loud and, you know, knowing, you know, I've I've seen all of those incredible women online. I follow so many of them. They're so inspiring to so many of us, myself included. Um, How does your life look like now being surrounded by these women that, you know, are truly in alignment with what you're doing now?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, never could have expected it. I went to Making Things Happen, and I was the fangirl that was there. And um, <laughs> I met Jenna, actually. I didn't know who she was, <laughs> which is funny. Um, this was, I don't know, three years ago, three and a half years ago, and she had 50,000 Instagram followers or something at the time. I was like, wow, that's right. so much. It, it is. It's so much. Now she just went viral on BuzzFeed and has like 550. <laughs> I know. It's amazing. <laughs> But yeah, so I mean, it, it's kind of surreal, just um, growing up with them a little bit, because mm. you know, Power Sheets wasn't what it was then. And it was huge then. And now it's like, wow, that's amazing. And um, so it's it is a surreal feeling. But it, I, I don't, I don't ever want it to get normal. Like I, I want to always have that sense of awe and fangirl ishness that's happening with my clients and um, the things that I'm a part of. Like, I don't I hope that doesn't go away. And I try to do things like gratitude exercises to help myself realize that and, and just kind of continue to feel that way because I, it does help me to stay accountable for doing really good work for them. But then also letting me understand that this is not like my normal life. Like my life could have looked very, very different and I I do enjoy my life and I want to be grateful for that. And I don't want to get complacent with it. So, I mean, as, as far as what my life looks like working with them, um, are some of the most gra- like the organizations and people you talked about, they are exactly who they are online. Like the, just the most gracious, kind, sweet people and organizations to work with. And I just, I feel really, really fortunate, but yeah, with the contract shop, we just actually, I'm in San Francisco right now because we're doing a creative live class with Honeybook, And, um, it's just those kinds of opportunities that are just insane. Like I used to watch that. That's how I learned how to be an entrepreneur. is creative life classes and then I'm here teaching one. So it's just it's really, really cool and exciting to have those kinds of experiences. And I just hope I never get shaded to the point where I'm like, why is this car not a black Uber? And like, why is you know, that kind of stuff.
0: Well and I and I love that it it just it goes back to, you know, you you attract you attracted that. You manifested it. You you wanted that. You saw you saw what you didn't want and how You were, you know, and and from a business standpoint, from a community standpoint, who you were surrounding yourself with or what you were doing and you were like, "Mm -mm, no, not working. I want to attract this. You know, I want to align myself with these kinds of people and these people and these thoughts and these beliefs. And that's what you're living now. So um, thank you for sharing that. And I think that it's just a great reminder for all of us listening that we are in control of whom we surround ourselves with and the work that we do and um, the passions that we have and how we share that, um, it's, it's a choice and we can work towards manifesting those things if we choose to do so.
2: Yeah. It goes back to what you just said, like giving yourself the space and the permission to do those things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, okay, so it's time to get legal up in here. <laughs> um, you are, I'm smiling I'm yeah, <laughs> I know. Well, you, you're, you're, you're it. You're, you're, you're the, you're the woman for this. So I'm so excited. So I first want to talk about, and I'm really just going to be pulling from thoughts and questions and ideas that I see either in my inbox or in my DMs or you know with my students in my my courses. Just kind of the the gist of the the common things that I see coming up when it comes to legality so the first thing that I really want to go through is kind of like a contract 101 and really we're going to get really basic here too of course we I think that we all kind of know like the gist of why we need one right It's, it's for protection it protects both parties but more importantly um how can it support the longevity of your business by by more kind of like a mindset shift of of sure. seeing yourself as a business than just like, oh, I'm going to create this contract so it keeps me protected?
2: Yeah. And I have to say, I love that we're starting with contracts because everybody, when they're starting a business, wants to start an LLC and get a name and... All of the things that if you go to like an SBA or, you know, one of those big box legal retailers online, like they will tell you to start a business, you need an LLC and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no. Like, to Do you start even a have business, money need- to start an LLC? Like- <laughs> exactly. You need money, money to start
0: yeah. a business. Yeah. It, it's expensive. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. So why don't we start with money and get clients because service-based businesses are easier to start than products. So. Right. Um, Yeah, in in a service based business needs some kind of client agreement. And for me, a client contract has always been about the relationship between the parties. So what I mean by that is, if you don't think about the good experiences you have had either working with somebody, it, it doesn't have to be in the blogging or the influencer world, it could just be like a plumber. Um, so think about like a time that you've had a problem and when you had a really good experience, and then think about a time when you've had a problem and nobody was there to help you and you just couldn't find any help that was reliable or consistent or cheap or whatever. Um, and then compare that to the good experience where it was probably, you know, affordable or reasonably priced. They came on time or when they said they were going to, they showed up, they fulfilled the expectations, maybe a little bit more, and then they, they left and you had the result you wanted. So to me, that's how a good either influencer to brand relationship should work or client to a service provider relationship. And that all starts with basically a list of expectations and outcomes that you are facing um, as a team together. So if you're not approaching this as a team, then it can get, that's when things do start to get kind of adversarial and you start to have that icky feeling like you're being taken advantage of. Um, so that's what I'm trying to avoid in any kind of situation. And I just, I want it to be, I love making lists like grocery list, things to do, what needs to happen on my blog, like whatever it is. So just think of your contract. You know, if this is scary to you, think about it as a list and just write down a list on each side of the, the, table, you know, write down what you want to see happen as a result of the relationship with the other person that you're entering into, or if it's a brand, then the brand, um, what do you want to happen? You know, do you want them to share it on their channels? Like, do you want them to pay you a certain amount of money? Do they want, do you want them to connect you to different, um, influencers as part of like a collaborative campaign? Like what is the end goal for you? What is the expectation about how that is going to happen? And what is the outcome that would make you really happy? And then think about it from their side as well, because if you're only thinking about it from yours, you're not considering all the different angles and it might be unreasonably um, weighted on one side. And so just thinking about what those expectations that you have of the other side are and yourself can help to achieve that result and then discussing it with them and finally validating that and uh, making it permanent in a contract that you both sign, hopefully electronically, because that's a lot easier. And um, then you you move on, you have a smooth relationship. And if anything does come up, you go back and you look at that list of expectations and obligations. And you say, what what's falling short here? How do we how do we make this better?
0: I love that, Um, which like now I have so many questions. Um, What do you need? Because I get this a lot um, with my students in my course. What do you need a contract for versus what you do not need a contract for? Or would you say across the board, you need some kind of written agreement no matter what? And specifically, I want to talk about... um, you know, with, with anything that, that deals with money, right. With an exchange of monetization. um, That's when I always know, like, absolutely. You need a contract for that where I get a little like, Oh, maybe I should talk to an attorney about this. Um, What if it's gifted or what if it's like a hotel stay or what if it's something that they're not actually paying you money for, but there's still time and there's still services rendered. Do you still need some kind of agreement for that? And I want to preface this to you by saying, you're not my attorney, and you're not everyone that's listening's attorney, so you're you're not giving us legal advice right now. you're just I, I'm wanting you to share your opinion i I guess is would be the legal legal term to say that yeah sure i
2: I appreciate the disclaimer and uh yeah, so this this obviously is just a nice guideline that hopefully will get you started and kicked off and then um possibly talking to an attorney when you're ready, but when you are, when money is at stake, you know, if, if it's any kind of substantial, like if it's a hundred bucks or something, it's just a quick one-off thing. Or getting started as a blogger. Maybe that's not as important, but you know, if this is a brand collaboration, like the level that you are helping people to, um, enter into, that's a really serious amount of money that we're talking about. Um, and you know, serious could be different for any of you out there listening, you know, $500 might be serious for you. So just making sure that you have a list of what what you are providing in exchange for that money so that nobody can come back later and say, well, you didn't provide X because blah, blah, blah. And you're like, wait, that wasn't even part of the deal. What's happening? So that's where a contract, a list of the expectations and what is coming from the other side is really helpful. There's two other scenarios. The second is where relationships are important. So if you want to maintain that relationship, relationship for any extended amount of time, making sure that you guys have clear expectations going into it is the best way to do that. So this really becomes an issue when people are working with family members or friends, or um, it's just like a very short collaboration. And if you are not in some way memorializing what that relationship for that business purpose entails which is just a fancy way again of saying you're writing something down maybe it's not a super formal contract if it's with your sister or your mom or something but just having something that you got an email that you can go back and reference is going to be more helpful than not having anything because if there is nothing written down even if it's an email an informal contract of some sort you, you're not pointing the finger back at the contract or the email. There's nothing there. You have to point the finger at the other person and say, you didn't do this. You didn't do that. And there's thinking, I didn't know I had to do that. I thought we were, I thought I already did that. So that's where relationships can get really sticky and icky. And you can avoid that really easily with just a simple list in an email, which as attorneys, we do these all the time before a deal is even signed. And sometimes we even get started on the deal before the official contract is signed. So for example, if um, we call it a term sheet, and so we just kind of run through in an email back and forth to the other side, like okay, we're going to be providing this, you're going to be providing that. This is going to be done by this date. These are the deliverables we expect, and you know this is what we're, we'll be providing for you in exchange for those like pictures or blog posts or whatever it is that the deliverables that are being received. So that's as simple as it it could be. Obviously, you know if you can have a written signed contract. That's better. But if that's all you can do, like I'm always saying, do what you can with what you have. And if you don't have a lot of time, if you don't have an attorney to look at it, like just memorializing those terms is a great start. And then finally, any kind of intellectual property. We talked about this at the beginning, what it is. A lot of you guys are out there as bloggers. You're creating your own photos. You're hiring photographers. This is not cheap. You're buying the clothes. Um, and you are out there uh, styling these photo shoots, buying props, it's an expensive endeavor. And so determining who's going to own those assets at the end of the day, um, you know, the photographer could get mad because they're being used for commercial purposes in an ad or in a magazine or something. So just being really, really clear about who is actually going to own the images? Who's going to own any kind of content like a blog post that you're creating? Who's going to own any of the Instagram posts that you're putting up there? Um, are they allowed to repurpose that? When does that stop? Um, you know, Do you have to have some kind of formal separation or is this – like something that's in perpetuity forever that you're locking yourself into um there's there's no really right or wrong boundaries there it's just for you to determine what's reasonable and what you can actually sustainably do over the course of of that day that month and then your career
0: oh that is so good thank you so much for walking us through that that was just perfection I like love you right now. That was so great, and I, I just I love it because I know that it's going to help so many listeners right now who have been so confused and so afraid and just scared about this. You know the whole idea of of legal and contracts. Um, quick question: Are emails legally bind- binding? Yes or no? And is it is that a federal or does it go state by state?
2: It's state by state. Most of the claims that anybody in the audience would have would be litigated at a statewide level or, you know, if they're outside of the states at a province wide level in Canada or um, I'm sorry, Australians, I don't really I'm not I'm really not familiar with the legal system. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I mean, federal claims are very difficult to bring and it involves a lot of different uh, factors, which would be really boring for me to go into here. But, yeah, so that's a great question, though, because. We enforce things. Well, I should say when I was at my companies, we would enforce things via email all the time. These term sheets that I was talking about, mm-hmm. we would absolutely litigate those. And if for whatever reason, the um, you know, we had the term sheet, but the final contract hadn't been signed yet, which which happens a lot. And this is like big multimillion um, IP licensing deals that we're talking about. So what would happen is something would be in the term sheet that wasn't in the contract or they didn't want to add it to the final contract. Meanwhile, we had already started working on the deal as if the term sheet was going forward because we had already negotiated that it was done. All we had to do was formalize it, throw it into the agreement and sign it. So we would absolutely litigate that all the time. Emails are definitely legally binding. Um, Again, they're written. I love that they are time and date stamped. Um, it's, there's not like magical language to officially have a contract. Uh, so emails could be seen even as contracts themselves. But, you know, that's why the gold standard is just to have that. If, if you can have a template and you can just take what's in that email and copy and paste it, you know, so that's very simple and easy for you. It's a process that doesn't take much time on your end. That, that would be a better standard. And one, one last thing I want to say too about the formal contracts is like people forget to sign them a lot. So you send them the other side signs and then you forget to sign that. We, well, I have seen instances in my legal career where that has actually come back to bite the person in the butt. So you want your, like, that's the thing is about your contracts is you want that to be there to protect you. And if you don't sign it, you've done all this work for no reason. It's no longer there For your protection. And so just remembering little things like that. Um, And then finally, one last thing about signing. A lot of people don't know that they can sign as their company. So anytime I'm hiring a new contractor, everybody always sends me the wrong contract because they want to, um, you know, make the agreement between me personally and them personally. And I said, no, I want my company to be the one signing this. I am only signing this as an owner or, you know, a, a an attorney at my company. Like this is not something that I'm signing in my personal capacity. And the reason for that is because I don't want, if something goes wrong or I end up owing them a lot of money for something or whatever could happen. I mean, I don't think these things are a possibility, but if anything did happen, um, I would want, my company to be the one who is liable, not myself personally and not my personal assets. And so I think it's really difficult because a lot of times we are our brand, right? Like Jenna Kutcher is a personal brand. Gary Vaynerchuk is a personal brand. And it's really difficult because in our heads, like that's us. But then on paper and legally, our company, our LLC or whatever kind Of uh, corporate formation, you have, like, even though you are the influencer that's the face of your brand, it's still your company who's entering into these agreements to take care of yourself on the back end if anything were to go wrong. And so it's a very difficult distinction. I see a lot of creatives and bloggers having a hard time with, but. Um, it's, it's worth mentioning because it drives, it kind of drives me crazy because everybody's putting themselves at risk for such problems later, um, if anything were to happen.
0: And that's, that's so, that's such a great, um, just gleam for everyone because I I think a lot of times people, no matter how small it may seem, um, I mean, you never want to be held personally. I mean, personal liability is everything. I mean, that's, it's such a huge thing. So I'm so glad that you touched on that, um. Cause I think a lot of times people don't, if they don't really see themselves as a business, then it's hard for them to think (laughs) that way. You know, they just, they're like, like Oh, I'm just a blogger. And I'm just like, you know, doing these cute (laughs) brand deals. And I'm like, yeah, but you're, you're, you're signing contracts. Like you're Mm -hmm. binding yourself to these, you know, to these brands with these specifications, you're doing services, you're doing, you know, you're rendering things, services for this brand that, you don't ever want to be personally held liable for if anything were to ever happen. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, I love it. And
2: that's, that's definitely, you should point back to the episodes on, on your podcast that point to the mindset piece of that, because that's like a whole nother thing is convincing people that they actually are a business.
0: (laughs) Exactly. 200%. (laughs) Um, One thing that I also want to ask you about um, and you kind of, you, you actually mentioned it before. So I want to dive into it a little bit um, because I, you know, I've seen it a lot in contracts that, you know, that just myself as an influencer and blogger, working with clients, working with students, and it's it's that word perpetuity, or it usually says in perpetuity. I would love for you to let our audience know what that exactly means and how that can actually be a make or break in a lot of cases if they're not reading the fine print as well as they should be.
2: Absolutely. This is one of two words that are are definitely well a couple words and especially in in licensing deals that are uh, make or break so this first one in perpetuity spoiler alert it means forever so you know be be sure that if you are entering into a contract like that you never want to see whatever it is that you're creating for the person again um, you know this is something that I actually have a friend who's a fitness model she's been on Oh, geez, probably 150 to 160 different fitness covers. You guys definitely know who she is. Um, And a lot of the brand deals that or a lot of the photo deals, she doesn't own those photos forever and ever and ever. They are never hers again. And and her life has significantly changed. Um, And, you know, she's she's found God. She's had kids and they're photos that she doesn't necessarily want out there anymore. Not that they're bad or anything, but it's just, you know, her preference. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. And so it's it's hard because those were photos that were assigned, which means given forever in perpetuity to whoever the magazine or the publisher or the photographer was at the time. So. That's a it is a make or break deal um type of word where you it might feel like something little and there are instances where it's fine you know like I I actually create stuff for honeybook all the time and I'm like I I don't care I'm I'm going to create new content and it's going to be different and I'm fine with you guys having this using it for whatever purposes you want and that that works for me and that works for them um and it's just easy and fast and that's kind of how silicon valley operates but As far as like intellectual property, such as photographs and these campaigns that you guys are creating as bloggers, I would be a little more hesitant because you just never know what is going to change in your life, what's going to shift, um, and and how that could look different in the future. And then the second big word that's kind of a red flag, well, not kind of, it is a red flag for me, is a really old school contract drafting language. You may have seen indemnification clauses, which mm-hmm. indemnification is just like a fancy word for saying what's going to happen, like who's, who's going to pay for this if something goes wrong. That's what indemnification is. And it will say that um, you agree to indemnify, hold harmless, and defend the whatever publisher the big brand whatever it is whoever's paying you for those photos and a lot of people just kind of skim over that and sign and that really bothers me I will never sign a contract that says I'm going to defend somebody else without even understanding what I'm defending right like I would never do that and so um I just don't I have no idea what you know I'm going to make up a company but like I, I don't know what Walmart is doing in their offices. Like, I don't know who they're working with or contracting with or what they're going to use this photo on and how that could be, um, you know, pulled into some kind of legal situation or litigation. So I don't want to defend Walmart. That could be really expensive. <laughs> yeah, totally. So I I kind of, I I just am very firm about that. And I think if, if you can understand, I mean, you made a good point before we went on the air. You know, if you can ask the other side, why is this here? Like, is this important to you? Can you explain what's happening in your company that would make this necessary? That's a great situation or that's a great approach for that situation.
0: Mm -hmm. And that's, yeah, I'll I'll share the example. Um, You know, I had a brand come to me and they were like, you have to sign the contract as is, you cannot redline it. And if you don't know what red line means, it just means edited, you know, you have to sign as is. And when I started going through it, I was like, no, like, who in their right mind would do that? <laughs> like, but I had to really, like you just said, Christina, ask them the questions, you know, why is this said here? Can you explain that to me a little bit more? And then once they were, they were able to explain it to say, well, We want in perpetuity here because we want to be able to use this instance or this photo for internal reasons to start talking about marketing strategy in the future. And I said, okay, I understand that. Can we add that in there so it's a little bit more clear? Or can we make sure that this is taken out or this is added in just so it's a little bit more clear and there's no gray area there so I think that you know just having that conversation is super important so both parties feel comfortable not only have a clear understanding but feel really comfortable with signing it and you know another thing for me is that when when any brand tells you that you have to sign it this way you cannot give any edits and you have to agree to every little thing that they say I I would be extremely weary to work with a brand like that anyway like, that's Absolutely,
2: just, I I was going to interject that, so I'm glad you did. Because yeah,
0: it, there are, and it's hard, right? Because you're getting started, and you're like, oh, this cool brand, this thing happened. Mm-hmm. I want to do it so bad. Well, but, and the reason why they do it is because they they wouldn't do it if bloggers and influencers weren't signing those. The reason why they're doing it is because mm-hmm. they can get away with it because mm-hmm. they'll say that to a blogger and influencer, kind of scaring them. Like, you're not going to get this deal unless you sign it in this exact way and you can't edit it at all. You cannot send us red lines. And so the blogger's like, oh, cool, great. Yeah, I'll do it. That's 3000 bucks, 5000 bucks, whatever. But you don't – I mean, you could you could be signing your life away.
2: Yeah, and they're generally not great company. I mean, at least in my experience, yeah. you have more experience with this, but the ones that have been really strict, they, they've they just been, they've had really poor teams on the back end yeah, and they, very you know,
0: unorganized. It's usually exactly. like, it's usually a third party agency. Like you're not even working with the actual, let's say the brand is, you know, uh, Susie's lipsticks. Like you're not even working with Susie lipsticks. You're working with, you know, the the blogger blog loves me agency that's been working with Susie (laughs) lipsticks. You know, it's like always this third party like agency and you know, you don't know what their motives are. You don't know how many influencers are seeding this out to. There's just, there's so many questions that need to be asked in that. So I appreciate you walking us through that. Um, One more question about, um, contracts and, and really just about, you know, what we kind of have the right, because I've, I've heard this come up, unfortunately, several times is that I'll have influencers tell me I did a deal. Um, sometimes they have a contract, sometimes they don't, but they do have the agreement in place via email that they, the brand said, this is the services rendered and this is how much we're going to pay you. And then all of a sudden, just like they never get paid. They send Mm -hmm. invoices, the the brand just completely ghosts them, they never get paid. Now, obviously, you know, learning curve in the future, any kind of legitimate brand is not going to do this. So you can then decide for yourself, am I going to start, am I going to continue to work with these random brands or am I actually going to start legitimizing myself and my brand enough by aligning myself with legitimate brands? But aside from that... What is? How do we empower ourselves as influencers and bloggers in that moment if we're expecting a fifteen hundred dollar check or a three thousand dollar check and literally it it never comes?
2: Yeah, they, I mean the easiest but most expensive answer is you just hire an attorney and usually that has the scare power to get them to cough up their, at least some of what they owe you, um, but that might not be worth the cost of hiring an attorney. This is the problem with litigation, especially in the United States, because unfortunately, unlike the UK, we don't have a loser pays all system. And so it's really, really difficult for a lot of bloggers to collect. Um, It's it's hard. It's hard for a lot of people in any service based business to collect. But, you know, there are options available. I mean, an attorney is one, possibly a collection agency is another, depending on the agreement. Um, a lot of the service-based templates, and I don't see why this would be any different for a blogger would uh, that we sell on our site, they, they have a clause in there that talks about this is when payments are due. This is exactly how much it allows them to fill in the, the exact amounts, because I don't know what they're charging. But um, it prompts them to fill in the amounts and the dates that those payments are due. And then if they are late, they have the option in each template to uh, enjoy an interest. So there's already pre-written language about the interest that's going to be charged. And then if it's becoming like delinquent late, where it's you know more than 14 or more than 30 days late, depending on what they choose, it could be a situation where – the blogger or the, the service provider is sending that agency or that, that company into collections. And the reason that can happen is because as long as something is legal allowed. So you can't make a contract to punch someone. Punching someone is an illegal activity. So you can't add something into a contract that's illegal. But as long as something's legally allowed, you're allowed to make your own rules. And so the contract for me is this really fun document, not just of the expectations and obligations of both sides so that you have this good result, but it's also the place where you get to make up the rules and have your own domain. And obviously this gets better as you have more and more influence. But certainly having something in there that's a safeguard against this where you are letting them know ahead of time that if they don't pay you these amounts on these dates and I'm a big fan of very 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 unambiguous dates and amounts as as far as numbers go but if they don't pay you these amounts on these dates then you are going to charge them interest you are going to send them to collections and then it's pretty easy to find a collections agency trust me they all want your money so <laughs> it's 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 not that hard to find collection agencies that are going to, to go after them. And so it, it's going to take a long time for you to get your money through a collection agency. Um, but that's that's possibly a less expensive alternative. And then, you know, the the last solution is just to um, maybe take installments where you're making sure that you're getting paid as you go or you get some kind of upfront retainer. Um for the work that that's about to come and then you know they they fulfill the rest of it throughout the length of your your work together and i'm trying to think of like any other solutions that they could possibly enjoy i mean honestly i think taking some kind of upfront deposit or retainer i like the word retainer better it doesn't technically matter a lot of people a lot of attorneys have this like fight about deposit versus retainer um (laughs) but the retainer for your services is probably the better term to use but Anyway, having that retainer for your services as a blogger providing content for the brands, um, if you can accomplish that and you can take something up front um, and then hold them to a payment schedule throughout your work together, that could also help to instill trust and maybe that's just a policy for these newer or less known brands where you don't know, you know, like, you know, target's going to pay out and you know, when that's going to happen and their target, but you know, for Susie, Sally makes shoes and who's approaching you, it might be better to have some kind of payment schedule. And they may actually prefer that as well, because these little brands don't have as big of a budget, um, or influence as they think they do, or that they, maybe they know they don't have that budget or they know they don't have that reach, but they're still trying to take advantage of the situation. So things like that can help to keep you, um, in the, in the black so that you're, you're actually paying your bills and you're, you're getting paid on time. But yeah, it is definitely a problem.
0: Yeah. And I, I love that you mentioned, um, how the retainer are trying to get something up front because that's, that's what, you know, I've always done, or I I at least encourage a lot of students and clients of mine to do, and they've actually seen success that way. And it really just kind of goes back to you kind of, you know, um, empowering yourself to feel confident in the situation. And again, looking at yourself as a business and saying, you know, hi, Mm -hmm. if it's target, like you said, respectable company, you know, they're going to pay. But if it is this new company that you haven't really heard of, you've never worked with before, and it's kind of a test for both parties, it's perfectly normal and okay to say, I need 50% upfront, or I need, you know, 25%, then 25 you know, however that works out for you. It's, a, it's completely okay for you to command that for you to, you know, have that be part of your standard form of practice as an influencer and blogger doing business with new brands.
2: Yeah. What a red flag too, if they're Thinking absolutely not, we can't give you any money up front. Yeah,
0: that's just you know, and <laughs> Do they don't trust you exactly. Why and I, are they approaching you? <laughs> exactly. The only time that, you know, a lot of big companies just due to how their payroll, like if it's target target and they're corporate and they have a payroll system that goes every 45 days out, but they can explain that to you. They can say, Sorry, we can't pay you until forty days after our services are rendered because of X, Y, and Z. Um, a little mom and shop brand are they're not gonna have you know, a system that works that way. Um, they should be able to cut you a check on the spot, in all honesty. Um, so, yeah, it's just about kind of navigating that and and being um, being confident enough to ask those questions and, and command those things for your business. Um, one more thing before we wrap up on all of this fun legal Q&A stuff. I want to talk about the GDPR because I think that it's important to kind of just touch on while we're here today um, to understand why it's important, who, how it can affect us, and what we can do to generally try to protect ourselves to some degree. Um, of course, each individual person is really going to have to dive into this for themselves to see what they need to do. But I would love to hear your thoughts and your opinions on this and, and what we need to start looking at as online creatives and entrepreneurs and influencers.
2: Yeah. And you guys have maybe hopefully not, but you've maybe seen in the news um, victims of different privacy scandals. I know there's a lot of companies that we interact with and use every day that I won't mention and are in the midst of being investigated or you just hear about like a security breach, credit card numbers have been compromised, et cetera, et cetera. I think we're all kind of getting used to hearing about those things. It's like every day there's somebody new that's emailing us and saying their systems have been compromised. And so what the GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation, is designed to do is to help make those situations a little bit better and more transparent. And so it's coming out of the um, European Union. And so it actually, for a lot of US, Australian and Canadian based bloggers, it's not going to affect them as much, but it's still important to pay attention. For two reasons. The first reason is because it's eventually coming our way. Things are not going to go back. It's kind of like taxes. Like once a tax is imposed, it's very, very unlikely that that tax is going to be repealed at some point. And um, you know, you're more likely to see more taxes than less in the future. So similarly, with regulation, especially surrounding this privacy stuff, as the internet becomes a little bit more sophisticated and mature, um, we are going to see more and more of this in whatever country we are in, especially these big countries that that deal with a lot of net usage, like use, net usage. Excuse me, like America, Canada, Australia, etc. So the European Union has decided that they are imposing these regulations on anybody that has a significant amount of traffic or sales from European Union countries, and that does include the UK because the UK is part of the EU until March 29th of 2019, and they are actually the UK is because they're leaving the European Union. They're actually thinking about very, very similar regulations that will apply Um, more like it really remains to be seen. Like, I don't want to get too technical, but basically this is coming our way. (laughs) Like whether it comes on May 25th, 2018, which is technically the compliance deadline, or in two years when America decides to enter into a treatise with the European Union and has the same rules like this is coming our way. So I mentioned the first reason why you should pay attention. The second reason that you should pay attention is because yes, there are fines and they're ridiculous fines up to $20 million um, or even more than that if, if you're making more than that every year. But I don't think that applies to this audience for the most part. If you are, you should definitely just hire an attorney if you're making more than 20 million a year. Um, but we all use these software programs in our businesses and with our blog. So with whether you're on WordPress, Squarespace, I have Shopify actually for the contract shop. We are using apps and plugins um, and active campaign, ConvertKit, MailChimp, um, Facebook ads, like these are all services and products that we are using to build our businesses and to grow our influence. And the way that the GDPR is going to affect these is that if someone is not in compliance with the GDPR, it remains to be seen, absolutely, but my hunch, and based on a lot of different people that are talking about this, um, my hunch is that there will be a point at which these service providers of these platforms of these products that we are all using and consuming will have the option or be forced to kick us off of those services for being in non-compliance. And so, while you probably aren't going to see a huge fine coming your way, what is more likely is that you could. Find that your active campaign or your ConvertKit account has been um, suspended for some reason, and then you find out that reason is because your website isn't GDPR compliant, and they don't want to be associated with somebody because they, as ConvertKit or they, as Facebook, don't want to be facing GDPR fines. So. That's a possibility. It remains to be seen. Um, And basically what you need to know about this thing in order to protect yourself is that a terms and conditions and privacy policy, which has always been the gold standard for websites, which disclaims your affiliate links, it has all of your long disclaimers and provisions and things like that, that you don't want to embed in your blog post, but are still important for people to read and have access to um, those terms and conditions and the privacy policy that would have housed those. It's it's just no longer enough. And so that's a great start. And it need, those things need to be GDPR compliant by talking even more specifically about what kind of data you are now collecting and what you're doing with that data. So for example, any kind of analytics that you're running, any kind of cookies, um, any kind of Facebook pixel, Pinterest pixel, those are the types of things that we now have to absolutely disclose close And it has to be very specific. So it's no longer very general. We're going to be collecting certain information, your name and email address when you opt in. Da, 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 da. So that's the first thing that's changing. The next thing that's changing with the GDPR in order to be compliant is that we have to get absolute consent. So we have to have some kind of record of when somebody opted in and consented to our website or freebie um, to receive email marketing communications from us and I think that we're going to see a lot of really cool tech develop in this space that takes care of the problem for us. But until then, everybody's kind of scrambling. And so one little workaround that I found for this, because I work with a lot of influencers that... They, they don't want to shut down their marketing campaigns, and they don't want this to be prohibitive for U.S.-based users or Canadian users, et cetera, et cetera. And so one workaround that I have found that I'm implementing on my own site and that is working for them is putting some kind of European Union cookie bar. So these are the cookie bars that have become more and more popular in the last six months that you probably have noticed when you go to news sites or when you go to um, just different blogs that pop up at the bottom. They're annoying. It says the site uses cookies. Do you agree and accept the cookies, learn more, whatever it says on their particular bar. But the cool thing about those cookie bars is that you can actually customize the text. And so while this still doesn't bring you totally into GDPR compliance, it's a great first step. And it is also a great step to see that or to inform people that um, you are trying to be in compliance, which is probably more important at this point. Maybe in a year, they're going to be a little bit more strict. And so you can add GDR compliancy language there onto the cookie bar that talks about what kind of information you're going to be collecting from them on your site, just copying and pasting that from your GDPR compliant privacy policy. And um, the EU cookie bars I love because you can actually set it to track when people have an IP address from the EU. And when the cookie bar, the technology recognizes it, it shows it to the EU users. So it's not showing it to everybody. This is really helpful if your audience is primarily based not in the EU, but you still want to be compliant so that you're not running into any risks later. Um, so finally, the third thing that we're going to see that changes, again, I said, The storage and the information that we collect, that's the first big change. The second big change is the consent. And so we've kind of touched on both of those issues. But the third way you're going to see the consent change is that we're going to start to see a lot more checkboxes underneath the name and email form when people are opting into our freebies. So They will be checkboxes that people have to affirmatively consent to us collecting that information at the point of the opt-in. And then just as kind of like a little bonus fourth one, if somebody under the GDPR requests that they want their information back, which is now a request that they can make to any business owner, they can uh, you are you are required as a business owner to give that information back to them. Last thing, because I actually thought, sorry, bonus two, Um, the last thing is that it's no longer reasonable. And this is going to apply to more big companies. But if for whatever reason this did happen to you, it's important to know um, if anything did happen where your data or your servers were breached or compromised in some way and you realize that. Where Wells Fargo or whatever those big companies were, I don't think it was Wells Fargo, actually. I think I'm doing them a disservice, but um, whatever that big company was, maybe it was uh, Target, I don't remember. There was a large company that suffered a data breach and they didn't talk about it for like six months. And so that's no longer acceptable. You only have I think it's 48 or 72. I'm not remembering the number off the top of my head. Um, you have 48 or 72 hours to let the people on your email list know that we're affected by the breach that they, that that's happened. So no more waiting period. And so those are the big changes. And just in summary, basically, if you are telling people exactly what information you're collecting, what you're doing with that information, and you're getting that consent to collect that information You are going to be more or less GDPR compliant. That's what they're going to be looking for. As far as what this practically looks like, this absolutely remains to be seen. Anybody who tells you that they can give you the definitive guide to this is probably not telling you the truth unless they have some insider knowledge, because this is still an experiment for the EU. We don't know how this is going to look and how it's going to be enforced. If you guys want to learn more about it, if this is really scaring you or you're like, what is this girl talking about? You can go to easypeasygdpr.com and that's going to give you access. Um, It should be immediate to about a 45 minute long presentation. I promise it's pretty light. It's not really heavy or um, full of legal stuff. It's very easy to understand. And so that's going to help you to understand this a little bit more as we hit this uh, compliance deadline very, very soon.
0: (laughs) Yes. And I think actually uh, the implementation day is the 25th of May. So yes, once... As you're listening to this, you know that we are um, like a week or so past that. So you'll want to make sure (laughs) that you take this information today and start to implement it. And I want to just, you know, really make a a note here that if you're someone who's listening that's thinking to yourself, oh, well, I don't use ConvertKit, so this doesn't apply to me. Or I don't, you know, I don't use those services that she said, so this doesn't apply to me. I want you to also think that if you use WordPress, if you use Squarespace, if you're affiliated with a site like RewardStyle, If you use MailChimp, anything like that that you may use, if you're on Instagram, (laughs) this is going to apply to you. So you really, really need to take this serious. You need to do your due due diligence. And um, I just so appreciate you diving into that so beautifully, so explicitly and giving us so much information. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, of course. So I want to chat a little bit before we wrap this up about the contract shop. Um, Tell me what it is. Tell me what I can find there and how it is set up to serve me. Absolutely.
2: So if you go to thecontractshop.com, pretty easy, <laughs> obvious name and domain. Um, we, first and foremost, I am focused on creating the best content that I possibly can. So I actually have a whole content team. Um, so it's myself and a couple different copywriters, and we're all creating the content, editing it, making it something that's really easy to consume and fun and engaging because. I really hope that people do have a good, strong legal foundation in their business and that they're having a great client experience that's leading to more business. Because, yes, while I love to give that to you guys very selfishly, it leads to more sales for our products. I'll be totally honest about that. If you have a thriving business, then you have clients and you have a need for the contract shop in your life. Ta da! So that's. That's first and foremost where we are coming from. And then obviously the product that we sell are contract templates and they're very, very specific to individual niches. And the reason for that is because if you go to some of these big box legal retail sites, what you will find are very generic um, service agreements or freelancer agreements, or even they've started to get a little bit more specific. Um, So I've even seen like a wedding planner agreement, but they're not in the industry. Like they don't get it. They don't, they don't do weddings. Like I, any kind of template that I create, it takes me a while because I'm out there on the ground learning about what it is. If I'm not doing that Service or providing that on some level myself. So for example, I second shoot weddings sometimes just to get in there and see what the wedding planners are doing, just to see what the photographers are doing, um, just to see like how, how hungry are you by 4pm when the shoot has been going, the, the photos have been going on for eight hours at that point. So Those are the kinds of nuances that I really like to bring into the templates. And then obviously with my legal background, making sure that it's all in, uh, we have a no legalese guarantee. So making sure that it's all valid and great language to be using legally, but then language that you can actually understand and communicate with. So when your client has a question about their contract, you as a service provider, even though you're not an attorney, you can communicate with them and tell them exactly why that provision is there, why it's helpful for them as the client and why you put it in there as, or why you kept it in there from our template as a service provider. And so it's, it's all on Shopify. We could do a whole nother episode on Shopify. I love Shopify. Um, It's super easy to just, throw it in your cart, check out, move on. You have an account, you can access it 24 seven. So that's, I mean, that's all about the contract shop.
0: (laughs) I love it. And where can we find the contract shop and start to kind of dive into all the various different options that are there and seeing which one is the best fit for what we may need? It's at
2: thecontractshop.com. And that's also our Instagram handle, but I'm more active on mine personally, which is Christina Scalera. So at Christina Scalera. And um, yeah, I would say that Instagram and our website are the best places to go. And then we will find you. We're good at that. We will find you on Pinterest and Facebook. So you don't have to find us there. We're going to find you.
0: That's amazing. (laughs) Well, before we wrap this up, I would love to know what does influence mean to you? Influence
2: means to me the ability to bring something that makes other others happy and make it something that's accessible at a mass scale. So for example, if you are able to bring some kind of positivity, whether that is actual happiness or just something that moves someone closer to that, if you're able to bring that to them and you're able to do that at a large scale. So to an audience of, you know, whatever your influence is, whether that's, a thousand, ten thousand, a hundred thousand more. That's, that's what influence means to me. And that's, that's why I think you guys are all out there doing something so amazing for the world. I mean, I don't care if you're just putting like lipstick on and comparing different makeup cut, like that's valuable. And that makes people really, really happy. I love that. It makes me happy. Um, so that to me is what influences and, you know, maybe it's not brain surgery, but it's important. And it, has a really, really valuable place in this world. So I hope nobody ever discounts anything that they do.
0: I love that. Thank you so much for ending us on such a beautiful note and for all of your just wisdom and amazingness. I so appreciate it and um, look forward to everyone soaking this up and stalking you. So (laughs) thank you so much. Thank you, Julie. Wanting more insights? Well, good, because more is waiting for you within our Influencer Podcast Facebook group. The group is a fabulous place to dive deeper into each episode with myself and other listeners and to receive exclusive bonuses relating to the show. We'd love to have you there. So visit facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the Influencer Podcast to be a part of this wonderful community.